Last week, we talked about faith being the victory, and uh, we really brought the attention last week to the fact that we're all in a spiritual battle. We all have different battles, but we're all in a spiritual battle, and if you're battling as if this Christian life has, it just depends on you to get the victory, you miss the point of it. The point is, by faith, he is our victory. If you're fighting for victory, you miss the purpose, the fact that God has given victory. You lay hold of his victory by faith. That's what 1 John says there, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. This is it, our faith. It's trusting in something that he's already done, something that he's promised. And so as we've walked through this last week, uh, we looked at the preparation for battle. Do you remember which battle? My boys do. Jericho. The walls came tumbling down. And at Jericho, uh, uh, specifically, I, I thought it was on here, uh, specifically they were preparing for battle. And at the time, God would say, you'd think, go prepare and build up your strength or get better to uh, sword or whatever it is. No, what God told them to do to prepare for battle was to make flint knives and circumcise the sons of of Israel a second time. Like that would bring defeat. If all your military soldiers were, were broken down And on a bed of recovery, like, you're so susceptible. But what that was, the preparation for battle, they were so vulnerable. The picture that you just crossed into enemy territory and you made yourself weak. It's a radical picture of faith that they were stepping into enemy territory and trusting God. And so, by the way, just the worst time to go into surgery when you're going into battle, okay? Then they turned, it's this... This period, they're preparing to go into Jericho, and the, the power in battle, um, this, this, this man shows up. It said, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing there. And he was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said, a multiple, point, multiple uh, answer question, like, it's either multiple choice, I mean. It's either you know, I'm for you or I'm against you, right? He said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And uh, I, I inserted this quote that I've never forgotten. I hope that you think about it uh, throughout this week. Uh, God did not come to take sides. He came to take over. He came to take over. Tony Evans said that years ago. I was on a radio program. I've never forgotten. God did not come to take sides. He came to take over. And so it said, he, uh, oop, skipped ahead again. Oop, skipped ahead again. He said, no. His answer was no. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. I'm here. I'm taking over. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? No angel is worthy of worship. You remember, that's a picture of Jesus. And so I love this verse. Um, Paul said it this way. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, divine power to destroy strongholds. And so at that point, 
Joshua 6 starts. He had the plan for battle. Now, it wasn't like a normal conquering battle. They were supposed to take all their warriors, these men of war that have won battles, and we need you to march around the city. It takes about a half an hour to walk around Jericho and then go back to your camp. And then the next day, get up, march around it. And then on the seventh day, what we're going to do is we're going to yell and play the ram's horns because we have the victory. That is, that is so impossible. It's so illogical. It's humiliating. But God was showing that no flesh will take the credit for this. No man will take glory for how cunning and how incredible of a soldier or warrior he is. And so there's this promise in battle that I love the picture too, that um, every person in that battle that was walking by faith, nobody perished. On both sides, Rahab and her family, the Jews uh, in the battle, uh, they had the victory, uh, and they also, nobody, they didn't lose anybody. So how can I lay hold? Last week we said, uh, how can I lay hold of it? Spiritual victory can never be earned by what I do, only by trusting in what Jesus has done. It says it this way, walk in the Spirit. That's how you lay hold of it. Walk in the Spirit. You're trusting and walking with him uh, in the spirit, and that is how you have victory. You don't gratify the desires of your flesh. And so last week, uh, we came to that conclusion, and uh, I want you to see this verse as we pick up the next one uh, this week. Uh, at the very end of chapter six, they've gotten the victory. They're riding to the next town. It says, the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame was in all the land. He's famous. Everybody knew Joshua. But it had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with his military mind. His, his being a skilled warrior had nothing to do with that. It was because he walked by faith and the hand of God rested on him. This week I had an uh, opportunity to go down to, uh, to Georgia, we had another Penske truck come up to the tri-state, and I know people on camera, on, on, uh, online right now can't see, but they're in the back. Can you guys stand up just so people can see you, and we'll wave to you. Uh, this is Nick and Melissa Windish. Uh, we'll welcome you appropriately after COVID-19, but um, they're, they're going to be engaged in collegiate ministry. Um, but we drove down to Georgia, and that's Brandy, hard at work. Uh, and uh, we loaded up a truck and helped them drive up. Brandy carried a couch. Um, to which everybody said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> to which everybody said, who's taking the picture? It wasn't me. I was busy too. Uh, but as we, we were gathering, we spent, got to spend a little bit of time with people that just reminiscing of all the things that God had done. Uh, just in my life and just we saw during that season of life just all, little victories all over the place that God had to take credit for. And the crazy thing is you go to a new place and everything that God did is history. Uh, you stand in a new place, nobody knows the stuff that God did. You're, you're forced in this moment in a new battle to walk by faith, and it's the same in your life. 
You start a new job. Nobody knew what you did at your last job. You're forced in this moment to depend on Christ and walk forward by faith. If you get away from that, do you think victory is just going to automatically come? I love that song, uh, Do It Again. I didn't mention it in time to sing it this week because I wasn't planning on reading this, but it said, I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. And I, I, I was resting in this this week and thinking about it, uh, and I came up with this, uh, this thought. The victories of my past, if you want to be gram- grammatically correct, do not guarantee. Victories of my past do not guarantee victory in my future. The things that God did in my past don't guarantee the victory in the future. What God did in Jericho doesn't automatically say you're going you're gonna to win the battle of Ai. And so we're standing here, uh, we're standing at the edge of another battle, and we experience defeat because there's sin in the camp. Joshua chapter 7 uh, we're going to walk through this. Uh, I, I'll never forget, probably 15 years ago, I was serving with Larry Mullins at First Baptist of South Point, and he preached on this. I, I want to say it was 13 years ago. He's now the pastor at Oak View up on the hill, uh, Barger Hill here in Canova. But uh, he said this. I'll never forget it. I was going to name the sermon this. Are you the aching that's breaking God's heart? Uh, <laughs> I have never forgot. I have it written in a notebook. I've never forgotten that quote. Um, uh, if you've ever played guitar, uh, I love guitar. I, I, I like to play a lot. But what happens is if you set your guitar down, what happens to your fingers? Your fingers get soft. Right? And when you, your fingers get soft, when you pick up to play guitar, you're 15 minutes in and you're like, it's so much pain because it's like wires shredding your fingers. And so when you get, Nick plays quite a bit, Blake plays quite a bit, you pick up a guitar, you can play for a couple hours because you build up these calluses on the tip of your fingers, and I still have a little bit of calluses, but you you build up calluses, and it makes it so you don't feel pain. If you have them, you can play forever. If you don't have them, then it's just, it's too much pain to play for long periods of time. As I was sitting there thinking, about our sin, a quote by a, a dear friend and brother of mine too. It said, have you grown, have I grown so calloused to my sin that the yelling of the Holy Spirit sounds nothing more than a whisper? Have I grown so calloused, so comfortable, I don't feel the pain, I don't feel the, the anguish of conviction anymore? That my sin is, I'm just so used to my sin, so callous to my sin, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just something of my past. I don't remember the last time I wept over my sin. I know I have, it's been years ago. 
I don't remember the last time that conviction just tore me up to the point where I was broken before God and I had nowhere to turn but him and, and we've just grown calloused. And so we see here in chapter 7, verse 1, the disobedience of Achan. Disobedience of Achan. But, I just read verse, chapter 6, verse 27. It said, he's famous. God's given the victory over Jericho. Chapter 7, verse 1. But, but, the people of Israel broke faith acted unfaithfully in regard to devoted things, the things that were off limit as to God. For Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, he took some of the things that were devoted for God. It's for his personal gain, he took them. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Who is the first, the only person that knew at this point only God knew his sin. Only Achan knew his sin. But God knew his, and a lot of times we think that my secret sin will not affect anybody in my life because it's secret. If they find out about it, then it'll affect people. But that's not consistent with this story and it's not consistent with the word of God. Multiple places I've, I looked and I was careful how I looked for this. But pornography is one of the greatest killers of marriage. Not only does it cause a man's heart to draw away, or even a woman nowadays, it causes their heart to draw away from the person that God has placed in their life. Not only that, but the person that, that has been violated by that, they feel like you don't even love me anymore. And this thing that can be so secretive that you think that nobody knows about it can affect everybody in your life. Uh, Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals his con transgressions, whoever conceals transgressions will not prosper. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he reap also. That your heart, you can't deceive your heart. Like, however, the things you're struggling with, the people that you know, they can see you struggling. And your sin is affecting them. The disobedience of Achan, they drew this place, verse 2, to the defeat of Israel. That He was just a private sin and he hid it in his home. He, he just did it on his own, but it affected an entire country. They were defeated. Verse 2, Joshua sent me men from Jericho to Ai. And by the way, I don't know how you grew up saying it. Ai or I, both ways. Uh, I'm just going to call it Ai because that's how my mama told me. All right? So, so Joshua sent the men from Jericho to Ai, which is near, uh, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. Men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said, Do not have all the people go up to fight, but let about two or three thousand men go up to attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. 
This isn't a fortified city like Jericho, right? We got this. If we took down Jericho, we could take down AI. No problem. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled. They retreated before the men of AI. There's no evidence in this passage of dependence on Christ. And, and, and they, in their mind, they say, we've got this. We've got it. We don't need to depend on the Lord. Uh, by the way, just a disclaimer, I'm not a Duke basketball fan. Uh, if you're a Kentucky fan, just bear with me for a minute. It'll get good in a minute, all right? Um, this guy's name's Coach K. Right? Duke basketball is kind of a big deal. I know if you, even if you hate them, the reason you hate them is because they're a big deal, okay? Everybody hates Christian Leitner, right? There's a whole show about that on ESPN that we all identify with how much they hate Christian Leitner. Why? Because they just won, and he's annoying because he wins. There's other reasons too, but, but Coach K, during his time, he started coaching the year before I was born, Think about that. Look at all the gray on my beard and think about how long Coach K has been coaching. The, the number of players that have come through, he's won five national championships. Uh, he has 16 Final Four appearances. They've been number one in the AP poll 17 of the past 28 seasons. Think about that. You want me to get off the talking about Duke? There's a lot of people that hate Duke a lot. And Zion... Now, this is where it gets good. I remember one Friday afternoon in March, I believe it was 2014, 2015, uh, March Madness is happening, something that we missed out on this year. And, and I was sitting in front of my office computer. We didn't have to be in the office, but I was happened to be in front of my office computer, and I couldn't believe my eyes as the number 14 seed, Mercer Bears. Mercer! Who is Mercer? Do you know where Mercer is? The only reason I know it is because they're from our area where I served down there. They're from Macon, Georgia. Mercer Bears beat the Duke Blue Devils. And, and in that game, they were, they, oh my goodness. In that game, it was just, they couldn't believe it. Some people still say that it was the greatest upset in basketball history. I don't know if I could go that far, but certainly tournament history. This is one of the greatest legends, coaches, the most, one of the most winning coaches. They thought, we got this. Just the first round. We got Mercer Bears. The battle of AI. Whenever you think, we got this. The reason the Bible says pride goes before the fall is because you think you got this, you're already defeated. The men of Ai killed about 36 of the men, chased them down as far as the gate, as far as uh, Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. As this, the hill was going down, they caught up and struck them, and the heart of the people melted in despair, became as water. I thought we were going to be victorious. I thought you said we'd win all our battles. You will when you walk by faith. So it turned the leadership to despair. 
There's just uh, overwhelming anguish. This, we just had victory at Jericho, and now we've got little Mercer bears that we're going up against. And we fell to them. They're nobodies. That anguish that they felt, they're crying out, why, God? Why did you bring us here to be defeated? And Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on face uh, before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of, of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. You think the last time Joshua was on his face, what was happening? He was in the presence of Jesus in a holy place. At this point, he's broken has no clue how they lost. Joshua said, alas, O oh God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? He's singing, it's putting it at, is this God's fault? I thought we did everything right. Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can... I say, when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, running for their life, they were defeated. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear, will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And listen to what he says. And what will you do for your great name? His concern, greater concern than his life, was the name of God that was resting on the, the people of God. And, and we're running for defeat. And we're going to be cut off from the land. And the, your name is going to be hurt in Cana. And God gives him a directive. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. There is sin in the camp. The reason you lost was because there's sin in the camp. Because there's faithlessness. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied. They denied that they stole it. They hid it. They put them among their own belongings. Uh, I say this. I, I don't want to sound um, harsh and judgmental at this point, but uh, I hope you know my heart. That's not my, it's never been my heart. Um, uh, in ministry, a lot of times you have uh, people that uh, struggle in open sexual sin. And they, you come into a church and there's open sexual sin or open sins that, that we just say, I just hate to say something to them. Let's, they might think I'm being judgmental. And we're, we're living in a day and age where grace is not biblical anymore. And so what happens is, and, and granted, let me say, somebody shows up with a child out of wedlock, that baby is not sin. I got to say that out loud. I know a lot of folks that have treated a lot of young ladies as if the baby is the sin and they kind of shun that child. The reality is that baby needs you. They need an influence. But the problem is the sin, the act and I, I remember dealing with somebody that had struggled in Georgia with this and 
And she struggled. She said, the church is so judgmental towards me. I say it, it's the church's fault that you guys are so judgmental because of my sin. You guys are looking down your long nose, uh, just a bunch of gossips and judges sitting in the pew, whispering when they go to the store about my sin. I, I've walked with so many people that walk through that kind of situation, just 15 years, 16 years of ministry. And they use so often the quote, uh, uh, judge not that you be not judged. Right? I've heard so many times they say, you know, you're not my judge, God is. And my heart says, man, you should fear that. That's a scary thing to think that you'd rather have God judge you than a person. And I, as I wrestled through those, through the years, I, uh, I have struggled how to extend grace to people who are walking in open sin. That judge not, that you be not judged. The, the idea is you're supposed to look in the mirror, remove the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly. Why? To judge the people of God. Paul said it this way. He said, I wrote to you in my letter, my letter not associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. It's saying not the people that are outside of the walls of a church, outside of the family of God. He's saying more than the sexually immoral. He said the greedy, the swindlers, the adulterers. Since then, you would need not go out in the world. It's the people out in the world are supposed to sin. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother he's guilty of sexual immorality or, or greed or is an adulterer or adulter, idolater a reviler drunkard or swindler not even to eat with such a one why in the world for what have i to do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge why why should i judge a brother why should i judge a sister that sounds like the opposite of grace. Why should Joshua judge Achan? That same passage brings it to the idea that it's for the sake of the body of Christ that you judge one another. Not to tear them down, but for the chance that they might repent and walk with Christ. Let me, let me put it this way. I've done not a lot of um, marital counseling but I help people to understand as I've sat down with, uh, I've done a handful of weddings and sat down with a number of couples. And as you are describing to them the role of, of your bridesmaids and grooms, groomsmen, you, you know those are people that have a role, right? In a wedding, the reason why you pick your closest people to be here isn't so that your pictures look good 20 years from now, Right? You know why you pick your favorite people here and your favorite people here? is because those are the people that are going to hold you accountable. Because they love you so much, they're not going to let you fall back on your vow without showing up on your front doorstep. That's why we come to weddings and you sit in the pew and you sit there and say, we are either on the, the bride's side or the groom's side, but we're going to be here to hold them accountable to the vow they made before God. Right? So judgment is loving. If I 
ever decide to leave Brandy, heaven forbid, there are gonna be a stack of men on my doorstep, my father-in-law will be the first one, but it'll be a stack of men on my doorstep before the sun goes down. Why? Because they love me too much. Because they love the body too much. Judgment, when you think biblically under the idea of grace, I want to judge my brother. The people I care the most about are the people that I want to judge and bring them to, that idea of judgment. So Joshua, uh, listen to what, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Is what God is still speaking. You're going to be running for your lives from your enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Set apart. The people have become set apart to be devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up and consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Thus says God. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand victoriously before your enemies until you take away the devoted things. Right? Somebody, somebody's got to snitch. God's the one that knows. He's helping Joshua to understand. And, and we're at this point, verse 14, says, In the morning, therefore, you shall be, be brought near by your tribes. Right? The, the whole tribe. And they're going to cast lots, and they're going to, the, the tribe is, the Lord is, takes by lot shall come nearby clans. That they're going to drop down to families, and they're going to pick out the families, and that's the family. Pull that family out. And the clans, the Lord will take, uh, <laughs> and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. Households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. Narrowing it down, it says, and he who is taken with devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in, in Israel. He not only violated the ban that God had set, but he hid it. But I want to say this, accountability partners, I don't know if you've ever been encouraged to get an accountability partner. If you, if you are not accountable to God, then you can lie to an accountability partner, right? If you're not submissive to God, if you're not accountable, then all an accountability partner is going to come and say, how you doing, buddy? You doing okay? And they'll hear kind of where you are, but what I'm saying is you can fool an accountability partner, so Joshua, you can't fool God, by the way. There's diligence about Joshua, about how to follow after what God has set in motion. Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. They're, they're casting lots. Is this by chance or by sovereignty? This is sovereignty of God. You know, Achan's sitting there thinking, Judah was just picked. That's my tribe, right? Next verse, he brought, him, brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zephyrites, or Zerahites was taken. Well, that's, that's my family. 
We're narrowing down to the problem, the person. And he brought near the clan of Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. That's my dad or my grandfather. He brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Camry, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Can you imagine Achan's heart? It's his heart is pounding as, as God is narrowing it down, the whole people group down and down and down in front of millions of people. There's one man that's caused so much pain. One man's sin affected the whole. We've narrowed it down now to Achan. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise Another, like, make confession about he's a righteous judge. And when it says give praise, it's as if to say, praise him as a righteous judge. What, are you, what have you done? And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. How silly is it to hide from God? Uh, Adam and Eve, I think about, they sin in the garden, they go hiding. How can you hide from God? The I am. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. It seems like genuine repentance. It seems like he's telling on himself, coming clean. When I saw among the spoils in Jericho, there's a beautiful cloak. It's a costly robe. Uh, by the way, my wife throws away stuff to Goodwill. I'm like, that's my favorite shirt, but it has holes in it. No. This is a costly thing. It's hard to throw away a costly thing, right? To get rid of a costly thing. 200 shekels of silver, a bar weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted it. I looked at it, I covered it, coveted it, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent. He saw, he coveted, he took it, and he hid it. He saw it, he wanted it, so he took it and then he hid it. David, up on his roof, looked out and he saw a woman he wanted. So he arranged to take her. She coveted, he wanted it, he coveted and he took it and then he hid it. How did he hide it? He buried his wife or her, her husband. Right, this pattern. You think even of the the uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, when the woman saw, she saw it. Saw the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes. She wanted it, so she took it. Every man is what we talked about in in uh, James. Every person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. I see it. I want it, so I take it. And desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin, and sin was fully grown, brings forth death. The devil knows exactly what your lure is. There's not a fish in the, in the lake that is trying to bite a hook. No fish wants to bite the hook. They want to bite the worm. And Satan knows exactly the worm to use at the exactly right time to make you so weak and defeated. And by the way, this is profound to me as I, I sit and consider this story in light of sin and temptation. Um, Satan's desire 
in every temptation is for you to doubt the goodness of God, the provision, the goodness of God. Why do you need another woman if you're married to the woman that you're married to? Why do you need another woman? Because it's not enough. God wasn't enough. Why did Achan need something else? They're in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Everything they need, God is providing for the people of Israel, but it wasn't enough. He needed something more. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down. They spread it out before the Lord. And now we see this display of judgment. All these things have led up to this point, And this feels like the opposite of grace. But there's a powerful picture that I want you to see in this. Joshua 7. And Joshua and all Israel took Achan, the son of Zerah, son, and, and the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, and the sons and daughters. And by the way, according to the law, this makes them co-conspirators. They're not supposed to kill their children unless they were part of the sin. So by default, this is saying they're part of the rebellion. And took his oxen and donkeys, sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought it up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you, Achan, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. By the way, 36 Israelite men had died because of Achan. The Lord brings trouble to you today, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day, that remain to the day that this book was penned. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called Acre, the Valley of Acre, that means disaster. This all seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? And it seemed like Achan was repenting. Why in the world did they stone him to death and pile stones up on him? You ever think about that? How could a, how could a gracious God do that to a person? For him to carry the weight of the judgment and condemnation of his sin, Achan's sin needed to be handled for the sake of the people. Had not Achan's sin been judged, Israel would have been devoted to destruction is what verse 12 says. Meaning Israel would have been like he intended for Jericho's uh, uh, plunder. So he had to be judged. And I think about verses like this. Me and my sin, I read a verse like this and think, man, I get a free card. I sinned this week. You sinned this week, and, and I'm alive today, right now. How in the world I get a free card because of verses like this? If we confess our sins, if, if me right now, walking in sin or dealing with the sin in my life, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and continually, ongoing, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. If, 
feels like a get out of jail card, right? It almost feels like God is saying, it's okay, buddy. You can go ahead and sin. It's not what he's saying. Some people see it. It's okay, buddy. I know you're struggling in your sin. I'm going to give you a clean swipe today. Try not to sin tomorrow. There's so much more than that. God's justice required judgment. And God's faithfulness required a sacrifice. And the crazy thing about the picture of the gospel is when you feel like I sinned this week, I brought shame, I brought death, I hurt relationships. I've done wrong. Maybe you're sitting there thinking about rehearsing the things that only you know that you struggled with this week. And all these things that are playing in your mind, you start to recognize that my sin demands judgment. And God's faithfulness has provided my sacrifice to the point that he says he's faithful and he's right to forgive me of my sins. Why? Because my sins were placed on the perfect body of Jesus. My sins were placed on the spotless lamb of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, he had never sinned. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He is right. He is not only faithful to forgive me of my sins this morning, He's he's faithful to forgive you of your sins this morning, but he's also right to do it because judgment of God came down on Jesus on that cross 2,000 years ago. That is our only hope today, being right with God. 